Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here this morning. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Thank you for honoring the presence and work of God in allowing him and opening ourselves and presenting ourselves to him for the ministry of his word. By the way, the old dude back there with the green shirt, how many of you know him? Charlie Johnson. He comes in every once in a while because he's crossed the lake, and so he comes in over here, gets some information, take it back to Jeff, and they talk about us. So that's what, that, that's what happens there. So we're continuing with the 40 days. There's a lot of mystery for these 40 days. But there are some things that are pretty clear that we know happens. And so there's a purpose in Jesus for not going away immediately. And you remember we shared last week Acts 1 verse 3. And the verse says, To the disciples Jesus presented himself alive after suffering many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days. So he was giving proofs. What was the proof? That his was a real physical body, but a body that was constituted according to the new creation and not constituted according to the old creation. In the new old creation, the body is bound by the laws of the old creation. And in the old creation, the life of the body is in the blood. That's the way the old creation is constituted. God constituted that way. But you remember sin came into the world and corrupted the whole thing so that God is not going to renovate the old creation and make it better again. But he's going to replace the old creation with a brand new creation like or after the similitude of the old but differently constituted not according to the ways and the laws and the activities or whatever of the old creation, but according to the life of Christ that governs the new creation rather than the laws of the physical universe. So we have to see what's going on here. Because I remember last week, I, I think I'll get through this today if I don't, well, you know, I remember last week several, and, and this isn't um, unusual, several had a real question about, okay, Jesus' body doesn't have blood? How many of you, and it's okay to put your hand up because I think all of us from time, at one time or another had never really considered that Jesus was only flesh and bone. I mean, so I went on the Internet and I read some commentaries about this. And for the most part, the commentary said, yes, flesh and bone. Why do we think this? Because Jesus said what? Flesh and bone. I have a body of flesh and bone. And then I went on one commentator who said, well, Jesus' body really is of flesh and bone and blood, but he was speaking metaphorically. He just didn't include blood. Because you see, in this particular religious activity, blood is still essential as to the ongoing ministry of Christ from the heavens called the sacrifice of the mass. He was speaking metaphorically. Now, we know that Jesus spoke metaphorically, I am the door. But when he tells Thomas, 
put your hand in my side. And remember, he's not speaking metaphorically. Why? Because these are open wounds. There is no blood in his body. Why? Because his is an enduring life. We are saved in his life, by his life, and we are maintained by the word of his power through his enduring life. So what keeps us alive forever in our new creation bodies is not the blood of the old covenant or the old creation. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God that keeps us alive. So it is the enduring life of the Son of God before the throne of God in the presence of God as a living, risen man. That's the basis on which we are maintained, not because of blood. This may open other questions. Well, what about these organs? I don't know. I don't know. And you know what? I don't care. All I need to know is what? We're going to have new bodies constituted according to the new creation. So what does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? Who can quote it? Just quote it. 2 Corinthians 5.17, loudly. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new. Now, that word new is not renovated. It's something that had not existed previously. He is a new what? Creation. He is not a redoing of the old. Behold, all old things have what? Passed away. And all things have become new. So you see, there I think that the Apostle Paul probably has in his mind partly this new creation body. Okay, so he came to do that. This morning we're going to talk about the second part of verse 3 where Jesus says in Acts 1-3, he said to do the proofs, and then Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And there are three things I want to talk about Jesus speaking. He's going, his care, correction, and his command. There are three issues of, of, uh, that are contained, at least, I think, in these, this word spoken. Care, correction, command. This morning we'll talk about care. Next week we'll talk about correction, and I'm not sure if we'll get the command in next week, but this week we'll just talk about the care. Excuse me if I continue to sound like an old automobile. Hold on. first thing Jesus sought to do was to care for his disciples. Let's remember this. After Jesus' arrest, where are the disciples? They're hiding. They may be in different places. There may be a few here, there, but what we know is that they all left Jesus when he was crucified. And the likelihood is at least some of them, maybe all, I don't know, it isn't said, but some of the disciples at least got together and were hiding, probably in the upper room. They're terrified. They're afraid. Why? Because you see, the men and the authorities that put Jesus to death are now looking for his disciples, correct? And if they could put Jesus to death, these men and women had no chance they were scared to death, and rightly so. Let's not be critical of them. You see, just a few days before, they had witnessed Jesus' great celebrated entry in Jerusalem. 
You remember that? Palm Sunday. Jesus came in from the east riding a donkey. Remember Zechariah, behold, your king will come unto you lowly and humble, riding on a coat. Remember the fowl of a coat. Do you remember that? So it was a picture of the king coming into Jerusalem. And the people began to yell what? Hosanna, Hosanna. Son of David, Hosanna. Do you remember? Did you see the movie at least? Do you remember that? But what does the word Hosanna mean? It means save us. It means save us. Save us. Because at the same time that Jesus and his little band of followers were entering on the eastern side, Pilate was coming in from Caesarea Martyrima, where he lived on the coast down there, with a cohort of Roman soldiers to keep the peace during the Passover. And so from the west, the Romans are coming in. From the east, Jesus is coming in. And they see Jesus as the Messiah, the son of David, the one who will reinstitute and reestablish the kingdom of God on earth. Remember that? David, David, David. And they said, Jesus, save us from that. Hosanna. Hosanna. It's certainly a worship, but it is a worship call for a particular activity of save us from those Romans that are coming in that have been dominating us. They saw this, a great celebration. And then the crucifixion. It's all over. It's finished. Remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? They were leaving Jerusalem. And as they were walking along, dejected, fearful, Life is over. What else is there? We have to go back to our regular, everyday, mundane, hopeless, meaningless life of existence and misery. That's what we have to hope for in this world. Everyday misery, difficulty, problems. Is there nothing else to life? And then the third man comes, hey, what's happening? How are things? Well, you knew around here. Don't you know what's happening, the things that have just happened in Jerusalem? And this man says, what things? It isn't that he doesn't know. He wants them to tell him what he knows. What things? And they say, Jesus, we had hoped that this man was from God and would restore the kingdom. Our hopes... No man ever spoke like this. No man ever ministered to us. No man ever communicated the love of God to us when we were with him, when we heard him inside of us burn with joy and peace and hope and gladness. (gasps) Then he's gone and he's dead. We had hoped. Remember that in Luke 24? We had hoped. Hoped. Hope is gone. Hope is gone. And then Jesus began to expound the scriptures, beginning where? With Moses. That's the first five books of Pentateuch. Begins with where? Genesis. See, Jesus was a good teacher. And he travels through the scriptures with the prophets and the and the Psalms. And what? <clears throat> he expounds to them everything concerning himself. The greatest Sunday school class that ever was. 
And then it is getting dark. He says, well, can you stay a while with us? Okay. So they had a little meal, and he broke bread. And as he gave it to them, they realized, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, oh. And then he disappeared out of their sight. Remember, why did he disappear? Floyd, because he was going to Galilee to meet his disciples. Do you remember that? I got places to go. Glad you recognize me. I'm out of here. And then the disciples, men and women, sometimes we think disciples are only the men. How many of you think that? Come on. How many of us are that male-oriented that, oh, I didn't know women. It's the disciples. It's the men and women. You have some ladies involved in this. And so they're all in the room. They're terrified. And then suddenly a man appears. How did they get in? I locked the door. I did, I didn't, you left the door unlocked. No, I locked it up. You must have left. Jesus is right there with them, this man standing in their presence, and he, they quite yet don't know who he is. Oh, who is this man? And what is his first words to them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. In these, peace be with you. Four words. I have to count. I was never good with math. In these four words is summed up a humongous amount of theology, which we won't spend the next two years going through. But peace be with you is not, where you at? How y'all doing? Good to see you. It's not that. Oh, sure, it is on a very superficial level. But it is monumentally significant when Jesus, the risen Son of God, comes to his people and he says, peace be with you. So let's talk about that for a few moments. With these words, Jesus calmed the furious storm that had been raging within their hearts and minds. Remember in Matthew 8, the disciples and Jesus were in the boat, and it was kind of early, early in the morning. It's dark out there, and these are fishermen, for goodness sake. And a contrary, says a contrary wind came up, and And all of a sudden, the waves and the winds began to shake this boat and up and down, and they're going up and down, and these men are holding on to the mast and everything. I mean, this boat is going all around. It's being tossed like a little, what do you call caulk on the water. And Jesus is sleeping. Good night. How How do you sleep like that, Darlene? And what do they say? They wake him up, and in the King James, what? Carest thou not that we perish? We're drowning. And he stands up. And holding on, I, I don't think he just stood up like this. I think he's standing up holding the mass. I think the waves and the winds are hitting him, and he's getting all kind of wet. And I mean, just blowing his hair all over the place. And, you know, this is a violent storm. And he says, peace, be still. Well, actually, in Mark, he says, be muzzled. Put a muzzle on it. And what happens? Everything became calm. And it said the disciples, seeing this, were more afraid of who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey his voice. They became more afraid of who he, who is, who are you, than the storm that they were in. You see, these men and women 
are in a soul storm. You know what I mean by that? Their bodies are being impacted by the winds and the waves of their fear. Their minds are being overcome with fear. Their thoughts, the questions about what about the prophecies? What about God? What, what, what's going on here? Everything of their life had become unraveled. This was not just an event that some nice guy died. This was their life dying. Please make sure that we allow the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to get us into the Word and to experience to some extent what is going on. Their life is dying. It's the worst thing they've ever and will ever experience. And he says, peace be with you. You see, he was announcing to them their greatest need had been taken care of. Peace be with you. And what is that greatest need? You see, why could their hearts be calmed? Why did Jesus come back and say, peace be with you? Because he was announcing humanity, the, need, the, the meeting and the solution to mankind's greatest spiritual, therefore physical and natural need. With these words, peace be with you. Jesus was announcing that in his resurrection, the furious storms of their souls had been calmed, had been calm. But, but what storm? What storm of their soul? What was calmed? The winds and the waves of the storm of sin that raged in them. See, this is the storm. That when Jesus says, peace, be still. This is the storm that Jesus spoke to. Stilling the storm of sin in their souls. And this is the storm that he initially speaks to every one of us. And this is the only way that God cares for us. Rather, the initial way that God cares for us is by first stilling the storm of sin in our souls. You see, the winds of war were raging in them. The winds of their enmity with God, remember? In Romans 5, 10, what? While we were enemies, Christ died for us. And you may say, well, I remember when I was saved... But I was never an enemy of God. You see, your enmity, enmity meaning enemy, your enmity, you were just ignorant of your enmity. From your perspective, you may have considered that you knew God and that you were a friend of God and that you were tight with God and so on. I've heard many people say, I've known God all my life. Well, let's make correction there. I've known about God all my life. Well, certainly but no one has ever known God 
until Jesus himself speaks peace to us. And that's the initiation, if you would, of knowing God, experiencing personally an intimacy with God, an intimacy of fellowship that is given by God to those whom he has forgiven and accepted into his family as his forever children, being adopted in Christ by the Holy Spirit. You see, because we are with a nature of sin, we were born hostile to God, Romans 8, 7. We were born with a nature that was hostile to God. And so I'll say this again, and I've said it before, but it's very important that we get this. Our problem was, or maybe still is for some in here if you're not saved, but hopefully everyone is, but our problem was not that we were sinning. You see, the problem with the poison ivy is the leaves, but where's the real problem? It's in the root that produces the leaves. So how do you get rid of poison ivy? Or in New Orleans, if you're from New Orleans, poison ivory. Oh, come on, come on. You know, we speak like that, poison ivory. Very close veins. Come on. You know that. Oysters. But how do you get rid of poison ivy? Christians too much are fixated on the deeds rather than on the root that produces the deeds. Because if the root is dealt with correctly and sufficiently by God, then as we concentrate on the root issue of cleansing and forgiveness, and we have a new root in us called the righteousness of Christ, now as we concentrate on us, on that, we can then begin to allow and cooperate with the Holy Spirit producing the fruit or the activities of Christ's own righteousness in us. So it, we're not condemned because we sinned. If that's the case, we're all still condemned. We are condemned because we were born with the Adamic nature, the nature that was came on, uh, upon Adam in his disobedience and was passed down from generation to generation. Well, that's not fair. My grandson has several peculiarities about him that he inherited from his maternal granddad, grandfather. And he does things the way I did them. Oh, well, that's not fair. I love it. I can look at Jonathan and say, I did that. One of the things that I used to do and still do is make sure that my shoes were on tight. I like tight. And here he is. He didn't say, Billy, he did that because he got that from what? From me. Do, do you have any children? Do you have any sons and a daughter, two daughters? Okay. Do they, did they inherit stuff from you? Too much, didn't they? I mean, Okay. <laughs> I tell my daughter sometimes, I said, you've inherited too much of your daddy's personality. <laughs> we inherited from Adam the nature of corruption and sin. We inherited the storm of sin. 
And the only way that could be quelled is by the Creator Himself. And so it's not the activities of the storm, it's what produces the storm. God must take us out of the realm of the storm and place us into the realm of His peace. Do we see that? And then the activities of sin can begin to diminish as we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We were hostile to God. We were born into an adversarial relationship with God. Therefore, what was our greatest need? To have the warfare be declared peace. Peace. Our greatest need was peace with God. And this is what Jesus is speaking. When he says, peace be to you, with this statement, Jesus is fulfilling the high priest type. Remember, adumbration means type, foreshadow, that which points to the actual. Remember Colossians 2, 17. Jesus is the substance. He is the one in himself and everything that he does that summarizes and completes and fulfills and is the object of everything of the Old Testament about the Messiah. Do you get that? Colossians 2.17 summarizes, if you would, in one way, the whole Old Testament. And so Aaron, the high priest, and then the other high priests that followed him were types of the great high priest whom God would send Christ being, Colossians 2.17, the substance of what Aaron represented. The sacrifices, Christ is the substance of what these sacrifices represented. Of the right circumcision and the food laws and the, the day, do this on this day. Christ is the substance and the fulfillment of what all of those fulfill, uh, uh, what they represented. Do we see that? King David, Christ is the substance of what King David represented. The prophets, Christ is the substance of what the prophets represented. Colossians what? To what? 17. Get it. Get it. Keep it in your mind. And so after the sacrifice is made, sacrifice for what? Sin. The high priest would come out to the people. And he would raise his arms, and he would give that great benediction, that blessing to the people that is found in where? Numbers 6, 24, 25, and 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his counsel it upon you, and give you peace. And when Jesus walks into this room, appears into this room, he is fulfilling, completing the ministry of every high priest who spoke that blessing every time the sacrifices were completed over and over and over and over and over and over again. In those days, all of it being temporary, looking for the permanent to come in Christ. Do we see that?
And when he says, peace be with you, he summarizes in one word, peace, the entire Aaronic, Aaron, Aaronic blessing or benediction. It's God's gift to the people. The priest comes out and having God accepted the sacrifice, God then what? Gives gifts to the people, the gift of his blessing. It is a gift-giving time. So when they heard that God gives them his peace, then their souls could be calmed and they could begin to rejoice in God. Peace be with you. Now the disciples would be able to experience peace with God. Peace with God. Remember in Romans 5.1, what does that say? Somebody can quote the whole verse. It starts like this, having been justified by. Romans 5.1, we need to know these verses. Come on, class. Having been justified by faith, we what? We what? Have. When? Where? Now. We have. We're not going to get. We have what? Peace with God. Can you lose your peace? Come on, think. Can you lose this peace? I've heard preachers say you lose your peace. You cannot lose that which God gives. Don't fall for that foolishness. Can Jonathan stop being my grandson? Can he or not? No. Now, can he act as if he isn't my grandson? <clears throat> yes. Can he act out of the good ability, a uh, uh, good blessing, hopefully, of being my grandson? Yes, he can do all that. But he can't stop being my grandson. Why? Because he and I are related. We are in Christ related. Brothers and sisters in Christ, one with God relationally, and we have the peace of God in us. Circumstances certainly can come, but we don't have to let them discombobulate our peace. You see, there's too much foolish teaching out there about this stuff. If I sin, there are two things immediately and mostly affected by my sin. The two most vital aspects of love. What are the two most vital aspects of love? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. When I sin, joy and peace are immediately affected. I haven't lost my joy. I haven't lost God's peace. I have misappropriated them or I have walked away from their activity in me, but they are still residential in me. Can we understand this? The disciples will be able to experience peace with God because Jesus is the high priest whose sacrifice had been accepted by God. Isaiah 40, verse 2, remember this. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Why peace? Because our iniquity is what? Pardoned at the cross. 
What warfare? The warfare of our sin against the purposes of God. Peace be with you. Jesus calms the storm and quells the winds and the waves of sin. But whose peace? Whose peace is this? And, and we've, I've said this so many times in here, everybody should know it. Receiving Jesus' blessing. Remember, he's blessing. He's giving a gift to these men and women. It is a benediction. It is a blessing that goes with them as God's gift to go with them as they leave. So in many churches, a benediction is given. Remember the benedictions? And many times it was the ironic benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And it was a gift of God's, the blessing of God's activity and presence with us as we leave the church service, for instance, so that we can walk in the good and in the power of what has been given to us. Receiving Jesus' blessing, meaning that means that the disciples are given peace that belongs, the peace that belongs uniquely to God, who is called the God of peace, in order to experience the peace of God. Did you get that? Is that in your notes? Oh, good. Whose peace is this? Remember what Jesus said in John 14 with the disciples, 27? What does he say? My peace. I've said this many times in here. If you're a believer, do you have Jesus' own peace in you? Yes. This is the peace, not as the world gives. Because the world ain't got no peace. There is no peace like this peace. It is a temporary and false and deceptive activity. There's no peace in the world. There's only one place where peace is. It's in God himself. So that in this community of fellowship in which the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit commune and communicate continually through love, there is peace. They are at absolute, comprehensive, eternal, perfect peace with one another. There's nothing out of sort. There's nothing to the contrary. Everything is an absolute unity. There's peace. There's purity. This is the peace that Jesus gives to us. This is God's own unique peace. And this is the peace that we are asking God not to give us. Stop asking for that which you already have. So if I'm not getting much water out of the pipes, I call the water board and ask them to put more water in the pipe. <laughs> right, Donnie? Uh-huh, go ahead. The problem isn't that there's no water in the pipe. There's something clogging the water from flowing. It's called my sin. Right? You don't have heart attacks because you ain't got no blood in the body. You have a heart attack because the blood isn't flowing. Something is in the way. And so I don't ask for God's peace. I ask for the experiencing and for the overcoming power and for the ministry 
of his peace within me. I ask that anything that I would do or say or think by word or deed or action that would in any way, in any way at all, hinder this peace from being experienced in me and being effective in me, that anything be overcome by the Spirit. See, this is the, personally the biggest problem that we have with sin. These two primary parts of love, joy and peace. The same can be called, said of joy, my joy, my peace. The same could be, but we're talking about peace this morning. <laughs> Why? Because, you see, the enmity between us and God that, with which we were born into the world has ended. The war is over. The war is over. This particular piece is called the fruit of the Spirit. You know where I'm talking about. Don't you love joy, peace, goodness, gentleness? Remember that piece, the fruit of the Spirit? It is the fruit that the Spirit produces in us, having been given to us by the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is given to us and when he resides in us, when he comes to be residential in us, having been sent by the Father's authority through the Son's purchase, redeeming work of the cross, the Holy Spirit comes to us. And when the Holy Spirit is residential in us, he brings to us all the character of God. And now the fruit of the Spirit is the work of the Spirit to begin to reproduce in us the very character of God, which, are, which is uh, uh, specified in this verse love, and then you have eight descriptives. That's what this is. And so it's not that I'm trying to be more peaceful. Because, you see, my trying to be more peaceful is going to create greater lack of peace in me because I'm going to fail. It's not that I'm trying to be more patient because my trying to be more patient is going to frustrate me. It's not that I'm trying to be more gentle I'm not asking God, make me more gentle, make me more loving, make me more whatever. You know how we pray, don't we? I'm always thundering against that. That's the wrong prayer because the emphasis becomes on you and me. Make me more whatever rather than, Father, I see my need. Would you by the presence and power and transforming work of your spirit, reproduce in me and manifest in me your patience, your goodness, your gentleness, your kindness, your joy. We cannot have it any other way. So please stop asking God to make you anything and walk with God in a way that he is conforming us into the image of his son. What verse was that? Romans eight twenty nine. See, God's work in us is not to make us, hey, James, you, man, you, you, you're getting better, James, every day. Man, you are really something. No, it's to reproduce in us the very person and activity of his son by the Spirit so that when people see and hear us, they can say, he has been, she has been with Jesus. Because, you see, it's only the revelation of the risen son of God by the Spirit that saves people, not my goodness. Not my kindness. 
That wouldn't save diddly squat. God saves when his son, by the Spirit, is manifested to the world, right? That's called what? The gospel. You remember that? To the extent that we, by the Spirit, exercise obedient faith. Is this in your notes? Read it. To the extent that we, by the Spirit, exercise obedient faith personally and corporately, together and individually, we will be guarded by the peace of God in every circumstance. Why aren't we guarded so much? Why don't we experience it as much? Because we're in the way. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Guard. Will guardian your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace be with you. Jesus came among his disciples to calm their hearts and minds by giving them his own peace. He came to first quell the storms so that they would be able to receive all that he had for them. That's the first thing, peace. Next week we'll talk about Correction and command. And we're about at the end of Matthew. So do be praying with me. What's next? Thank you for being here.